Good morning. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. Uh, hello from Oklahoma, from uh, the Midwest. We are going to take a risk today and have a back channel. Dave Jake said, are you sure you want to do that with this crowd? But um, <laughs> we do have an official Twitter hashtag, which is TL Tech Forum. And so if you Twitter with that hashtag, that pound sign, it should show up. But you can simply go to a web browser if you'd like and go to todaysmeet.com slash tltechforum and uh, I dropped a link to handouts and we'll be sharing additional links there as well. So I had to change my introduction on the fly. Anybody use this site? By the way, I'm not affiliated with it. RateMyProfessors.com. Remember, uh, what was it before this? Um, the one that A&M created, uh, Pick a Prof? Do you, hear, do you all know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had students or you yourselves have gone to a website like this and taken a look at evaluations of yourself or professors that you might have, selected them? Okay, so I've taught pre-service teachers now for, for several semesters, since 2005, but I was at the University of Central Oklahoma last spring and I had two sections. So Wednesday, as I gave my final, uh, somebody was mentioning this and I didn't realize this site, you know, was, was uh, the new pick a prop. And so my average rating of five was 2.2, and there's a pretty, pretty nasty little comment here, you know, um, you know, Fryer is smart but cares more about computers than people. Ooh, doesn't sound good. Well, this morning I went there and I'm up to a 4.0, yay! I even have a pepper for hotness. <laughs> Uh, absolutely taking this very helpfully over on, and he's not bad to look at. He stopped me to immediately said, did your wife write that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my wife is on uh, rateyourprofessors.com. Well, we do live in a, in a challenging environment, in a disruptive world, in a world in which many of the traditional things that we grew up with are not necessarily true. Uh, here's my intro I was going to go with. Who's excited about this film? Anybody? Anybody excited about this film? Anybody an avid Harry Potter fan? Anybody got this rabid fans in their family? You may even go to the theater, you know, early and see that midnight showing because it's coming out. Well, that wand represents this idea of magical power. And my parents went to, without grandchildren, can you believe they do that? Without grandchildren. They went to Harry Potter in Florida uh, about a month or so ago. And so this is my dad in Kansas, and these are my, uh, my girls. That's uh, Sarah, who's in fifth grade, and this is Rachel, who's a first grader. And that is the Hermione wand. And isn't it exciting to hold the Hermione wand? And all evening we were hearing Alohomora and all these other spells, because, you know, she's perfected it with the iPod, the, uh, iPod Touch app, you know, Harry Potter spells. <clears throat> I love the quotation by Arthur C. Clarke about magic and technology. Who would have imagined that we could do the things we can do today with tools in our pockets and in front of us and in our hands? However, Alan Levine, who writes the great uh, blog CogDog Blog, he's CogDog uh, on Twitter and CogDog Blog, uh, shared this quotation a while ago, and I do think this is my favorite as well. This is William Gibson, who coined the term cyberspace. And he says the future's already here, it's just not very evenly distributed. How many wireless connected devices or wireless capable devices are in this room right now? Look around your table. Think about your home. How many devices are now in your home that can connect to the internet? Whether it's television for Netflix, whether it's little game stations. When we ask the question, what does the future hold and what does digital vision look like? We don't have to look into a crystal ball. In fact, at this event, I'm sure we're going to see lots of examples of the future. But we all know that the tools that we have in our hands today are not in everyone's hands. And perhaps even more challenging, or equally challenging, I guess, than having the tools are, is being able to use the tools. So I'm just blown away by the power of the tools and, and like a lot of people, I think I tend to maybe focus sometimes too much on the tools. When is technology used best? How can you tell? What's the litmus test? I think it's when it disappears. 
When the technology is not the focus, when the learning is the focus, you know, we're using it right. It's like oxygen, it's like water. However, cut us a break, right? We were schooled in the 20th century. We've learned in a text-based world. And so today I want to tackle this question about digital vision in a bubble sheet world. This was a Saturday morning though, a few years ago at our house. And I put this picture on Flickr. <clears throat> My niece, who's going through uh, pre-service teacher education in the Dallas area, was in her, one of her classes, and her professor had this up on the slides. And she said, I know those kids. <laughs> Do you remember when Saturday morning cartoons were a big deal? Do you remember that? When can we see cartoons today? Anytime. Do you remember when cartoons moved a little slower than they did? do today. Um, the opportunity to have access to a digital world does present enormous opportunities, but it also presents challenges. And today, I'm going to argue that this opportunity we have to engage in learning, both face-to-face with digital tools, but online and asynchronously and synchronously in, in this whole blended environment, means that we should do more digital sharing we need to tell our stories and encourage others to tell stories. It means getting creative with our tools for a specific purpose, and that is to transform our schools into the cultures that they need to be for the 21st century. And I'll reference uh, a couple times, I have a video uh, clip, from Douglas Thomas and John Seeley Brown, their new book, A New Culture of Learning. Great, great book. And one of the things that they talk about in that book is we hear people say schools are broken, Right? But if we're thinking about the school being broken, we probably have a vision of the school as a machine rather than an environment, rather than a culture. An environment doesn't really get broken in the same way a machine does. It can be sick, but it doesn't break. And so we need to do some clarification in our communities about what education and what learning needs to look like. And that's where this idea of digital vision comes in, and specifically stories. How many of you wear glasses or contact lenses? Okay. How many of you would be in trouble if we were to take those away right now? Okay. I, I would as well. I firmly believe that if things are going to scale in a, class, in, a, in a school or in a school district, we absolutely have to talk about vision. What do you understand learning? Uh, what, what is learning? You know, is learning this experience of sitting here and, and simply hearing a transmission of ideas? Or does learning have to do with creating and sharing? Does it have to do with experiencing? Does it have to do with interacting with the world? What is our vision for learning? Have you heard this before? Anybody said that before? Historically, what kind of context have you heard that quotation in? Hitler, right? Nazi Germany. Okay? However, I believe... For many years in our country, a lie has been perpetuated. And similar to that historical time period in World War II, the more you hear something, the more normal it becomes and the more accepted it is. And we know as educators there are far more things that count and matter in life and in school than what we can measure on this bubble sheet. Have you seen this movie? Raise your hand if you saw this movie. Okay. Man, Jeffrey Canada, amazing guy, right? Amazing work. Passionate educator. Did you know that I found Superman? I'm proud to say today he is in how Oklahoma. His name is Lance Ford, and he does wear a Superman suit to professional development. Now, that's a joke. Actually, it's not a joke. He does wear that. He, he, this is on his website. But what's not a joke is that we do not have a single Superman or a single Superwoman to look at or to look, to look towards. How many of you here today are the person that folks in your building, folks in your home, go to as, as the help person? Are you that help person? Right. Projecting knowledge and competency is a dangerous thing in technology, isn't it? The word gets out that you know how to get on the email system. But this is a serious point because Superman and Superwoman are not coming from the outside to save our schools. You are the superhero in your community and in your school. Unfortunately, we have a war going on today against education and teachers being blamed for all sorts of things today. 
And so at the outset, I want to begin by thanking you for your service. This is my son's third grade teacher, Ms. Fitzgerald. And I know, as you probably do too, you can live in the community with the, quote, best school, with the highest test scores, with the best reputation, whatever. And it all comes down to the teacher. What does that teacher do in the classroom? How does he or she challenge students? Is there a relationship that that teacher has with students? So amidst all the technology talk today, let's remember what's really important in learning and that is the individual, the teacher, the passion that teacher brings into the classroom, and the way in which we choose to learn together. How many principals or superintendents do we have in the room today? Do we have some? That's excellent. Let's also remember leadership is not positional. Whether we're a classroom teacher, whether we're a tech director, whether we are the parent who's coming to, to visit our class uh, where our students are, we all have the opportunity to influence. So. How do you explain Twitter to someone in just a few words? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, what do you think Twitter is? What's your elevator speech for Twitter? You have 30 seconds. Go. Somebody else have an explanation for what it is? Sure. Anybody think it was, anybody first time you heard it think it was really silly? I could make three tries before I actually. Why would I want to know what people are having for breakfast, right? There's a lot of ways to, to explain this, but I really believe digitally connecting with smart people is, is the way to understand it. I want to hang out with your brain is the way I would explain Twitter and a lot of social networking. And how are we influenced? Sometimes it's an event we come to like this, but events like this become far more powerful when after the event, our connection to people and ideas continues. It's persistent. So let's talk about this program. How many of you have used this program to connect with someone in another country? Raise your hand. Look around the room. Well, look at those hands. Okay? We asked a question five years ago. You wouldn't have seen that. Tell me some of the countries that you have Skyped to. Afghanistan, Spain, Australia, Ireland, New Zealand, Brazil, Japan. How many of you have had an opportunity to facilitate um, an international Skype call in a classroom with students? Yay! That's great. One of the things I'm convinced is we need to take the passion and enthusiasm we have for connecting with others on a professional level, on a personal level, and with video like this, into the classroom and share with students. And there are a host of reasons, and we'll address a lot of them today, why that's challenging. This is a Skype call with my three kids when I was in Shanghai last year in September, and nothing says, you know, time zone like 8 p.m. Um, in the evening, Oklahoma time, 8 a.m. Shanghai time. And I would take my laptop to the window and show my, my youngest, you know, it's, it's tomorrow. I'm in the future. Daddy, it's sunny outside. That's right. I'm on the other side of the planet, and it's tomorrow. Those kinds of aha moments really don't happen with a worksheet. They really don't happen looking at a picture that's static on a textbook or even a computer screen. And I'm very excited that this capacity to do these kinds of connections is getting easier and easier, and it is getting more and more affordable. Um, how many of you have a smartphone today? Isn't it kind of silly to call it a phone? Do you use it as a phone that much? I use it some as a phone. It's really a computer. I laugh on the airplane when the airline attendant will say, Please, you're okay to take your phones out, but please leave your computers you know, in your bag. And what do you think this is? 
We have a superintendent in Yukon Public Schools just to the west of Oklahoma City who went into a classroom recently thanks to the FaceTime video conference. One of the assistant superintendents had his phone, had it connected to Wi-Fi, and that superintendent was literally being passed around the high school classroom talking to some students about what they were learning and what they were doing. So the, the capability to do those kinds of connections, to bring the classroom, to bring the real world into the classroom and the classroom into the real world, can really challenge our ideas about what education means. Because if what education means to us is simply consuming content in the most efficient manner possible and regurgitating it as, you know, upon demand, as Paulo Freire would say, um, a banking model of education. We have no time for this. Why would we want to bring the real world in? But if we understand the power of inspiration, the power of engagement, um, the power of people, and the importance of storytelling, this becomes a very important idea. So, I'm going to ask you a question, or give you a question to think about, and show you a video, and let you talk with your neighbor about it a little bit. And the question is, what can your students do with a screen? Think about how many screens we have today. Think about the screens at our house. Think about the screens in our pockets. Think about how many megapixels are on those screens. Think about how quickly those screens are increasing in the not just the resolution, but in the ways in which they can connect to different places. We just moved and we decided to cut cable, so we're doing Netflix and we haven't done much beyond that. It's actually kind of nice to not have cable TV uh, for some reasons. We couldn't have done that five years ago. So this is going to be a video that Rustin Hurley shared at Holland Christian Schools at their conference last October, and, and it was created at a summer camp that was held in California by a group called Fresh Brains. And so this is a, a short video that a high school student created about Boy Scouting. about that video and what you thought.
Murray explains that Next Vista for Learning is his Save the World nonprofit. I love that explanation. I have, I have one of those too. Uh, comments, thoughts? What, what did you say or what did your neighbor say about that video? Uh, I, I have a question, basically, and that's I'm, I'm a classroom teacher and I want to know how I can create an environment in which that can happen for every student in my classroom, um, in which they can reach that level of, of polish and perfection and creativity in the work that they do. And I'm glad you asked that question because we'll talk about that. The reality is not everyone's going to become a videographer. Not everyone's going to want to invest the amount of time that I know it took to do that. But keys to that are talking with media, using media, creating a lot, and creating often. Because I'm sure that wasn't the first time that student had created that kind of video. But having an opportunity and an invitation is critical. And here's how Rushton explains it. Because a lot of us are nervous about video projects. He says, this is how you explain it. We're going to do um, a project for this unit of study, and our final projects are going to be due in three weeks, or however long you're going to be giving. You have options, and you have choices. Um, you can do a video, and we're going to take a look at some examples, or you can do a poster. <laughs> You'll be working with your classmates. You'll be able to work both uh, some in class, but outside of class, we'll have resources at the school available for you. Um, I'll be here as your resource. And I have created a rubric for the kinds of things I'd like for you to address, but I want you to be creative in that project. That's basically how we explain it. Now, given that kind of option, there will be students who will opt for the poster option. But we all are influenced strongly by our peers. And so giving students an opportunity to collaborate and work together and create a project, um, you know, no guarantee that we're going to see that. That's the real exemplar video. But I think the invitation is important the understanding that I cannot and don't need to understand every point-and-click menu option on the specific software program that you'll have because that's a critical piece of learning today is being able to figure it out and work together and get answers. Um, and that's a good question for us all to engage with. So other thoughts about that video or, or comments that you had or your neighbor had about it? Yes? Um, we were talking, it might just be our older brains, but everything is <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was fast. Just, you know, how they, the video games, but as for adults. Right. We're not the click, click, click. Did anybody start to twitch, you know, watching that? <laughs> Did anybody have a, wasn't it, doesn't Nintendo have that warning on some of their, or maybe everybody does on their game systems, you know? Uh, be careful, this could, I mean, how fast is media coming at us? Um, the literacy, well, and, and the choices too, I mean, I saw that video, and as someone has been involved in Scouts, my thought was, oh my gosh, can I get a copy of that? Because I'm ready to go rock climb right now. Let's go hiking. Great conference, but we're going hiking today, guys. Um, I don't know, but that would probably have an impact on Scout recruitment night when we're trying to show what, what is this about. This is about far more than just earning a merit badge and learning first aid or going you know, somewhere on Monday night to meet with friends. This is about big ideas. This is about a story, and I would love for you to come be a part of this story and to write this story for yourself. Yeah. I think another interesting aspect is not just, yes, we have that click, 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 but that's the consumer end of it. Mm. But for kids to be in that producer end of it, which is filled with reflection and focus, which our kids are in this click, click, click so much, I think it's important to experience those skills of that reflection and the ability to focus on Absolutely. And this is a key item that I'll send the slides and I'll hopefully say it several times. The shift from just being consumer to being prosumer. Critical thinking skills have always been important. It's not a 21st century thing. Oh, now we need to think critically. But look, Wikipedia puts it in your face, doesn't it? Anybody can edit. So does that mean we... Have ever told kids to believe what they read the first time? We've ever said, just give me one source? Creating media may, allows us and actually forces us to make lots of different decisions, and we'll talk about the revision of Bloom's taxonomy, so I'm completely with you. It's not just about watching. It's about creating and all the skills, many of which are non-technological. Some of them are that go with that. So that's a great video to talk about. Um, I, you know, have a link to that on the website that's linked from our tech forum page. And, you know, being involved in the scouting program, uh, we haven't had a recruitment 
opportunity since that video came out, but that video Russian has linked on NextVista, and I'm using it, so I'll, and we'll give full credit to, to FreshBrain. This is my Change the World nonprofit, and it's called Story Chasers, and I say it's mine, it's really not just mine. Uh, it's a, a nonprofit that's been going for several years in Oklahoma, and I want to tell you a story this morning about this phrase, a digital witness. And I want you to think about the capacity you have to be a digital witness and empower others to be a digital witness. Who's been to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii before? Okay. Have you been out to the Arizona Memorial? Probably challenging to forget that experience. I've had an opportunity now to go uh, three times, uh, once for a conference. This was a family reunion. Our, our family, my dad's side, came from South Dakota and uh, a tree farm and a family that had uh, ten brothers and sisters. Three of those sisters went and became teachers in Hawaii. We still have some in Hawaii. So we had a family reunion there last summer and had a chance to be there with my dad and, um, and with my family. When you ride the boat out to the USS Arizona Memorial, this is what you see today. This is Ford Island, and these are the docking points of Battleship Row. Docked today on Battleship Row is the USS Missouri. And those of us that are historians, what can you tell me is significant or was significant about the Missouri in the history of World War II? It was where the, the, the uh, peace treaty was signed. It's where MacArthur signed the treaty in Tokyo Harbor in 1945. So, if we can go back in time a little bit, this is today, present time. The USS Missouri is docked right next to the place where in 1941 a battleship called the USS Oklahoma was docked. And in 2007 I had an opportunity to go to Pearl Harbor with several others for a video conference and some other events that surrounded the dedication of a memorial to the USS Oklahoma. These are uh, junior ROTC students from Claremore, Oklahoma, who got to fly space available from Tinker Air Force Base over to Hawaii. Did a lot of things, but got to spend the night on the Missouri. And the next morning, several of us got invited to join them for a walking tour of the Missouri to include a recounting of that peace treaty signing on the deck in the location where it happened by a docent who happened to be born in a town called Hiroshima. One of the little nuggets that was a specific fact that was shared at the session was, at the time the armistice or the, the peace treaty really was signed, all of our aircraft flew over the boats there in Tokyo Harbor, fully armed with bombs, bomb bay doors open, as a quiet reminder of the capacity and the will which existed to continue to fight the war if that needed to happen. I shared this story in Altus, Oklahoma last week, and one of the guys in attendance said, my granddad was one of those pilots, because he told us that story. One of the other people at Altus, and this is Kent Brooks, who's the director of technology at Western Oklahoma State College, has in the attic of his mom's house original photographs taken by his father of the, of the peace treaty because his father was on a boat next to the Missouri. And I said, Kent, we've got to get these on Flickr. We've got you know, we to share these. A lot of times we think history is going to be remembered by the big themes, but really it's those small things that we often connect with the most. So this is my very not great picture uh, taken on the boat of MacArthur when he was signing the treaty. So this is all today, current photographs. But let's turn back the clock and imagine, if we will, this scene in December of 1941. This is the USS Oklahoma after she was torpedoed and had rolled on her side, trapping hundreds of sailors underneath. And we probably are familiar with that story. Well, when I was there in 2007, I had a chance to facilitate a video conference with survivors. And this is Paul Goodyear, who was topside as a young signal foreman on top of, uh, on the deck of the, of the Oklahoma on that Sunday. This is George Brown, who was a cook, who was below decks on that day. This is Dick Pryor, who was with Oklahoma Public Television and facilitated our video conference. We're inside the fire station on Fort Island. Any idea why we'd be having a video conference in a fire station? 
example. In 2007, there was not 3G connectivity in the Honolulu area. The only people with high-speed internet were the firemen. Remember that store CompUSA we used to have? I went there and got a 100-foot ethernet cable and strung it from the bedroom of the firemen into the garage and they pulled their truck out and here we had our video conference with the USS Missouri as our backdrop. Paul Goodyear was thrown off the deck, or blown off the deck of the Oklahoma when the torpedoes began to hit. George Brown was, was trapped below decks for hours before he was freed. And so for an hour, we heard these gentlemen tell their story. And it was when Paul Goodyear turned around and pointed behind them and said, it was about there that I climbed out of the water and began to look at what happened and what was going on, that I had this idea of digital witness. I'm a digital witness to history. But because of technology and through technology, we have opportunities to share these stories, not only today, but for every day in posterity. And so I was inspired by the stories that these men told. Perhaps the best thing about this entire video conference experience was that we tried to avoid technology abuse. You know what I'm talking about? Using an interactive technology for a broadcast-only experience? So after hearing these guys tell stories for an hour, the 11 Oklahoma classrooms connected via video, asked questions, and listened to the answers, and had an opportunity to hear from some men who survived and, and not only lived through that experience, but had some amazing life experiences to share. We have people in these communities, we have people like this in our communities all around us. And one of the things that I'm passionate about is empowering students and teachers to document these stories using a small digital recorder like this that you can get for now $35, $50, and record right to MP3 format. We've had over 800 videos now shared on our Oklahoma Voices um, site. We've had over 50 on our Kansas site, and now we've started a project in Texas just launched two weeks ago in Lubbock. And most of these are short three- to five-minute videos. Not all of them include interviews, but many of them do. So why should we do this? Well, there are several reasons. There's lots of reasons to come to the campfire and hear the stories. Uh, one of them is to preserve our community history. But another one is what Joe talked about, and that is shifting kids from consumer to creator. And we're going to hear just a brief little excerpt from Douglas Brown talking about his book and not only the idea of media creation and the, the skills that come with that, but imagination and creativity, which are so important and which in our bubble sheet world are often left to the side and forgotten. Right now, looking at the ways in which um, kids are running from video games, and my most recent project is to be dealing um, with uh, recreating a marriage from Frankenstein called modern media. What we see is really important about digital learning is that it seems to be an area which really grabs the imagination of kids. Digital learning represents a new kind of learning, which means that children are both critical consumers and producers of new information. Particularly fascinating examples where kids are learning to read X media um, and they're creating their own narratives, their own stories, and their own systems of resistance in some cases to make powerful arguments about things. I think we're actually stuck in mode where we're using old systems of understanding learning to try to understand these things once. And part of the discount means that we're missing some really important uh, and valuable data and valuable theory impacts about the way in which this sort of thing works. So I think part of what this initiative should be about is really pushing forward that agenda to figure out how it is um, that kids are running in terms digital media as well as other Alright, so great, great book. Um, I think I'm actually going to skip this video because I probably have two, well, now, you know, it's a minute and 38 seconds. Let's do it. Let's see an example. This is really the fruit. This is an example of student work. This is probably the first video, uh, I don't know for sure, but we're, we've seen a pretty high bar example of video. Now we're going to see, um, you know, kind of the other end of the spectrum, but it, I'm not saying this is bad. This is a wonderful video. But... Um, there's a lot of value in creating our videos and sharing them. There's also a lot of risk involved, right? Putting myself out there, putting my work out there. So this was created by a student in Wakefield, Kansas, following our Celebrate Kansas Voices and his teacher, well, I said that wrong. Um, this is the, 
this is the wrong Vicky. I should have had my, my notes better prepared. So anyway, this is a Kansas story, um, and I'll get the uh, location from where this is. We'll, we'll go to Vicky's page. Um, this is called A Woman Serves. is better than what is coming through our sound system right now. I'm not exactly sure what happened. But let's think about that. Where do we begin? We go to the theater today and we see amazing finished products. Okay, the Blair Witch Project may have been an exception, right? I don't think they really did a lot of storyboarding there before they started their project. But we're used to seeing professionally created media. Turn to your neighbor and talk about the value of what we just saw in terms of the students learning and that classroom culture, especially as it pertains to digital literacy and technology skills. Take 30 seconds to do that. That was a big question. classroom technology facilitator in Lubbock, Texas, I remember having a student come up to me uh, with a cassette tape, remember those, and said, Mr. Fryer, I've recorded this story of my granddad who was a vet in World War II. Can I share that on the internet? And I said, I don't know how. I'd love to, but I mean, I didn't know how. We didn't, I don't know. I hadn't learned. We didn't have tools like digital recorders that we do today to be able to record and share those. So, if we were to summarize the value of projects like this, you, you may have said things like writing skills, researching skills, um, speaking skills, oral communication, but there are other things here too. There are things like remembering and recognizing and thanking that are critical. It's really important for us to practice our listening skills. I think the hardest part of this project may have appeared today, getting my audio was right. I mean, that, that was challenging. But it's the whole interview process. Don't get me wrong, I love air conditioning and yeah, TV is pretty good sometimes. But we don't sit on our porches and listen to Grandma and Granddad tell us stories the way we used to. And the wisdom that we have in our communities needs to be preserved by us. That's what the Veteran Oral History Project in Washington, D.C. recognizes. We can't wait for the professionals. The professionals may not be coming. We need to take things into our own hands. So, 
I'd like to show another video and talk a little bit about this landscape and then give some specific suggestions for how we can take ideas today back to our classrooms and back to our schools and, and move forward. And I'm not going to show this video. How many of you have seen it? It's, a, it's over a year old now. Did you know? Okay. This is a, a video that is a good one to use in professional development. It's one of these overwhelming videos, right? It gives you so many statistics, so many facts. Oh my gosh! What, you know, and I emerged from that saying, what does it mean? I'm gonna, how many of you have seen this one, The Social Media Revolution 2? Okay, a few, a few fewer hands. Uh, this one, and I just learned this story this last weekend, launched the uh, writing career of Eric Coleman, who wrote, uh, who wrote Socialnomics. And he um, paid a grad student $200 to make this video. And so at the time I screenshot this, it was about a million and a half views. The thing to think about as we watch Did You Know or Social Media Revolution or any of these kind of videos, I think, is what does it mean? We know that these changes are big, but what does it mean for me today? What does it mean for my school? What does it mean for what my students and I do next week?
so many excellent things that we can talk about. You know, one of the one of the stats that, that uh, Thomas and Brown pull out in their book is YouTube in 2007 had more bandwidth on just its site than the entire internet did in 2000. I mean, these kind of statistics tell us there's a lot going on. What does it mean for us? Well, one of the key nuggets to take out of many of these videos is how important the mobile space is and how important it is that we recognize the power of these tools and leverage them in our classrooms. The cell phone that's the basic track phone today that you get on a, that you can you know, buy without a contract or the one that you get for free if you sign a contract is more powerful than the computers we had. Um, I'm told when NASA launched the shuttle in 81, certainly way powerful than what we had when we landed on the moon in, the, in, um, in 69. Um, I'm going to actually skip this video. Uh, how many of you saw the bit? Well, it's short. It's always hard. You always bring too much. How, let's do, how many of you saw the video Reply All for the Super Bowl? Oh, really? Okay. This would be a good one to use for professional development. How much were Super Bowl ads this year? About $3 million for 30 seconds. So I think this may be the 60-second little extended version that, uh, that, um, that I'm trying to think of who shared it. Um, have you had a Reply All catastrophe? Do you think digital citizenship and digital literacy are skills that we only need to talk about with those young kids? For 60 seconds. Um, okay, I am going to skip the behind the scenes. There's a cute behind the scenes video you can see on their website. What are the digital footprints that you're leaving? How do we talk about digital literacy and, and digital citizenship in our schools? How do we manage our digital footprints? A key part of that is publishing. Few said last year in May that over half of adults in the United States appear to be Googling themselves and learning things about what's on Google and that whole video about social media points to this. You remember when computer literacy meant Microsoft Office? Remember that? It doesn't today, right? It means far more. And so whether or not our classroom looks like this, this is a staged photograph in the journalism department at the University of Missouri. Things should change when kids show up with these powerful devices. The opportunities that we have to extend the learning process beyond the classroom should change. How many of these kids are on Facebook? Right? We've had universities that professors in Oklahoma or, or at professors at Oklahoma universities ask to have mirrors installed in the back of some classrooms so they can tell if the kids are on Facebook. Mobile devices matter, and in the mobile space uh, and, and just in the online space, we've got a lot of disruptive things happening. Um, raise your hand if you know about Khan Academy. Bill Gates' favorite example, I think, to share right now of technology integration. Uh, Salman Khan has made now over 2,000 videos about different math skills. And while this is exciting and powerful, there are examples um, that I think are even more exciting because they're beyond what we did traditionally. We traditionally have learned those math and science skills. But let's talk about what it means. Probably my most important slide, and I should leave it up for more than five seconds, is the revision to Bloom's taxonomy that Anderson and Crosswall published with others in 2001. I obtained my master's degree in 96. We didn't study this because it hadn't been published yet. They changed all the words in the taxonomy to verbs, and they put creation at the top. The easiest things to test are down here at the knowledge and comprehension level. We need students to gain knowledge and skills 
at the knowledge and comprehension level, but we also need to move up the pyramid and utilize the power of engaged learning through project-based learning and through the creation of digital media. And so I think this is a big reason why we need to have students create content and create video and other forms of multimedia because as we facilitate those projects and those products, they can obtain these lower level knowledge and skills, but they'll also get them at a greater depth because of the critical thinking that's involved. So one of the ideas that I want to toss out to you is in your local area, and this might just be your school district, but maybe it's in your state, maybe it's in your region, or maybe it's just global, maybe it's just, maybe it's just global. All of us now have access to unlimited hosting provided by YouTube. With something called a tag, which is like a keyword, you can invite people anywhere on the planet to share a short video that they put online with that tag and you can then aggregate or create a funnel of those videos that you can then edit or have your students edit together. And so in January, I had an opportunity to work with about 60 administrators in Montana. And during our day and a half together, this was one of our activities. We actually had, I think, six groups that were, video, that were in remote sites video conferencing in. One of them had two feet of snow on the ground. They took pictures of it and showed the power of technology. We wouldn't have made it to Missoula if we had to drive. But this is a short little video, and this was the question these school leaders in Montana responded to. What does it mean to have vision as an educational leader in 2011? As you watch this, I want you to not only think about what they're saying, but think about the power of this kind of distributed learning. What question do you want to pose to parents, to students, to peers, to another group? And how could you leverage the same kind of model for allowing folks in lots of different places to share their voice? Digital leadership has two pieces. It's expectations and it's modeling. I think the digital leaders have to expect that uh, these skills are, are not only taught in practice in the classroom, but I think also has to be modeled. Um, I don't think you can have a digital leader in the business for themselves to grow with technologies. And um, I'm not saying that every uh, tech leader has to be a tech guru or a genius in technology. They have to have the iPad in hand, they have to be fearless um, or the laptop, and they have to be able to articulate a vision that says that we can do better for the tool for a better time. You could, you could have 
we did in a day and a half with administrators. Now, think about the risk involved for administrators doing that project. When you ask somebody, are you okay to go on YouTube? You know, what's the first thing? Oh my gosh. How do we craft our digital footprint online? By publishing stuff, right? By talking with media. This is the book I'm finishing for, for ISTE this year, and I registered the domain talkwithmedia.com. We need to be communicating with media, and if we are not happy with what's out there or nothing's out there when we Google our name or we Google uh, our school, the way to remedy that is by publishing content and sharing content that we do want people to find. Digital sandboxes are essential. And I want to ask a question. How many of you have a site like YouTube for your own school or district or region that you can publish to? Is anybody doing that? So I would love if you would send me a tweet. You could send me an email, but a, a, a tweet is probably better. Um, or put it in the back channel. What are you using? Where, where are you doing that? Because I think the idea of a digital sandbox, it's like swimming. We don't learn to swim by just talking about the elementary backstroke and the crawl stroke. We have to get in the water, and we have to practice, and we have to do it together. It's dangerous, right? Things can happen. People might say an inappropriate thing. Somebody might, you know, leave a nasty comment. These things can happen, but why do we help our kids swim? Hopefully it's so they're safe when they get out in the world and there's going to be water and they're going to make good choices when they have the opportunity to get in the water or they fall in the water. Sometimes that happens. So I want to ask where your platform for publishing and sharing is. In the breakout that Ben Gray and I are going to share after this session, we're going to talk about that from a school district standpoint as well as a classroom standpoint. And um, just to give you a couple more ideas on these lines, how many standards do y'all have? K-12, do you know? We got over 3,000 in Oklahoma. Okay, We really don't need more standards. That's, the standards movement has had good intentions, but I like how ISTE has six broad domains, and the first one is creativity and innovation. How often do we forget that today in our schools? Dean Shiresky's keynote for the K-12 online conference last year was called sharing the moral imperative. And Dean challenges all of us to share more and to think about how much it is that we learn from the sharing of other people. Richard Florida, an author, talks about creative communities and what is it that defines a creative group. We need to look at creativity as an essential element, not only for uh, personal development and, and professional growth, but community growth as well. I've had an opportunity now to go to China four times and every time I go there, I am wondering, what does it mean? You know, I was there, this is the uh, new Apple store that's right across from the Pearl Tower and didn't realize they were juxtaposed there. I was there right after the iPad came out. We had, you know, lots and lots of folks lined up to see the iPad. I don't know how to do this inside Keynote, so I'll, I'll exit my presentation and uh, do a little zoom. This is a photo, I, a panoramic photo I took um, using the app Pano on top of a shrine, a, a pagoda. And this is of a um, small little community, Shuzhou, six million folks, um, suburb of Shanghai. I think Shanghai's 20, 20, 25 million, okay? What does it mean that all these folks, here's Chris Betcher from Australia, what does it mean that all these folks are getting online and using these tools and, you know, this, this flat world is here. Well, part of 
what it means is that our kids need different skills and we need to be doing these, you know, these activities of collaboration. Here's Maria Nee, a kindergarten teacher in Deerfield, New Hampshire's class blog from last year where she's sharing about how they're Skyping back and forth to Australia and they're Skyping up to Canada to Kathy Cassidy's class um, and also um, Skyping um, to Brisbane, Australia. This is an example of the Shanghai American Schools YouTube clone. They're using a, uh, a solution called Media Scripts. This is a sandbox. You want a lot of video to be created and to answer your question about how do I do this in my classroom? We need to ask our IT department, where's our YouTube? Because if we don't provide a sandbox that allows everybody in the community to feel safe publishing, we're not going to have many folks publish. But being able to do this in a closed environment is great. Here's another example. This is Tuscaloosa Public Schools in Alabama. They're using a solution called PHP Motion to create their YouTube clone. Remember, some of this is published internally. Some of this um, can, be, can be public and it can be embedded and put on other websites. Here's one more I just learned about this week uh, from Cisco. They have a solution called Cisco Show and Share. No, I'm not getting a kickback from Cisco for showing you this. Um, the point is it's a sandbox and if I provide this as a district, I am communicating not with my, just my words, but through my actions that I value content creation and media sharing, and then I'm going to provide and support a platform for us to do that together. So look for the ways technology is used, not just to accommodate and do what we've always done, but to do things transformatively. You probably know or have gotten a hint in my presentation that I love Apple stuff. I love Macs and I use Macs all the time. But one of the things I believe is that technology needs to become ubiquitous in the classroom. And what I think I see happening is ubiquity at the endpoints. This begs the question of how are we preparing our network for these different kinds of devices. Technology needs to be like the pencil in the classroom. Alan Kay talks about the predominant learning task being defined by the predominant technology. And a lot of us tend to get very excited when we see the whiteboards. And don't mis mishear me or, or misunderstand me. It is huge to have an opportunity to bring digital content into your classroom. But we need to think carefully about how we use those limited dollars. You remember this? What was that? The opaque projector, right? Did you ever set fire to instructional materials accidentally with a hot bulb or fear that you would? You know, that was dangerous, baby. Thing was hot. Don't get close to that. This is transformative learning. These are young ladies in the nation of Afghanistan last summer receiving their OLPC, their EXO laptop, one laptop per child, empowered to not only now learn at school, but to learn wherever they go. And if you know anything about the Taliban and about their view of women and education, you can understand how powerful this photograph is, this idea. All right. You ever have too many slides? It's okay. Always better to have too many rather than too few. Skip to the end. I believe we need a shared vocabulary of instructional experiences in our school. If you're an administrator, classroom teacher, we need to be talking about these words, creating, collaborating, and sharing. We need to talk with media. We need to expect that students are talking with media in their projects. And we need to do that as teachers increasingly. We need to collaborate with others. Our administrators need to expect that. Have you done a collaborative project this year? Not yet. Are the state tests over? Yes, they are. Maybe that's an opportunity. The reality is we don't need to wait until the state tests are over, but maybe that'll be a door here as we wrap up our school year for that to happen. We need to share our work. We learn so much from the sharing of others and our opportunities to digitally share now are superb. So um, that's my fear slide. You guys got any fear in your school today? A little bit maybe? Fear is a villain, and we're here to address that. The speed of change appears to be accelerating and not slowing down. How are we going to address fear? Through working together, through collaboration, through stories. 
A story of a World War II or Korean era veteran in your community that shared online and celebrated not only for that veteran story, but for the student who documented it, is an opportunity to overcome some fear with regard to sharing and technology. And of course, our main focus, one of the main focuses here, is to overcome ignorance today by sharing ideas together. So, this is my daughter when we were in Port, Port uh, Smith, Maine, or Portland, Maine, when the iPad came out. Uh, my daughter's on the right. The kids are ready now. Right. They have been ready. They're ready for a change. They're ready to see technology tools used. But are the teachers ready? Um, that's OLPC today. That's the prototype for 2012. Are they going to get there at $75 each? I don't know. But I would like for you to ask questions and focus on the learning amidst all the devices that we have coming out and available. How are you going to let kids create? How are you going to give them choices? And how are you going to let them teach the curriculum because we need to learn together in transformative ways with the tools that we have. Thank you so much for this opportunity and have a great tech forum.